0: On this week's special episode of Nine Works Radio we reveal the first remastered 993 Turbo by Gunther Works.
1: Nine Works Radio is your dedicated Porsche
2: and car podcast taking you closer than ever to the world's finest sports cars and the culture and history behind them. The show is brought to you by nineworks.co.uk the innovative online platform for Porsche enthusiasts hosted by Porsche journalist Lee Sibley and 993 owner and engineer Andy Brooks,
1: with special input from friends and experts around the industry, including you, our valued listeners.
3: Gents, gents, gents. How are we? Very good, chaps. Hope you're both well too. We, I've returned for a special instalment of Nine Works Radio.
1: Yeah, what, what should we call it? Episode twelve point five. I don't. Yeah. I don't want to call it thirteen. Let's call it twelve point five.
3: An, an interlude. 5? An interlude.
1: <laughs> an
0: interlude. Yeah. Well, we had the holiday special. What comes after the holiday special?
3: So basically, <laughs> we've we've gone on holiday again. <laughs> That's what you're saying. Yeah, yeah.
0: we're California dreaming. On we this are week's well special episode of Nine Works Radio.
3: Max, indeed, that we are. So as we are kind of trying to get across early doors here, we are between series. We're on our kind of end of season break of Nine Works Radio, but we have jumped back on the mics because we have a very, very, very special episode today where we're revealing a new car uh, based on a Porsche 993. It's a remastering of that car by the California-based concern Günther Works. And we're recording this prior to embargo lifting. So by the time you at home are listening to this podcast, you are literally hearing all of this information on the new car, fresh off the bat. And we were so excited about it to be given the opportunity to do it. We thought, look, yeah, let's, let's get off the beach, get back in front of the (laughs) mic. Get off the beach. Jolly (laughs) good podcast. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. Was
1: it project tornado? It's called, uh, yeah, looking forward to seeing the details. Well, we've seen seen the photos, and I'm pretty blown away from it. Blown away by it, actually. Looks it's, fantastic. Yeah, what, the
3: tornado has blown you away, Andy. It has, it has yeah. Yeah, <laughs> very good, very good. Yep. Yeah, so, I think as a as a kind of a top level, before we dive in, so we're going to have two special guests from GuntherWorks Works joining us very shortly. Um, we've got Peter Nam, the CEO and founder of GuntherWorks, Works, and we've also got Amjad Ali, who's the technical director. Um, we are really in for a treat in terms of the technological deep dive behind this car and the thesis of the company but top level it's uh the company's first turbocharged remastering of the 993 generation 911 it is based still on a 993 carrera um at concept it's shaved over 200 kilos from the dry weight of uh of the 993 so we're looking at about 1150 kilos we reckon yeah We've got um, up to 700 horsepower, but as we'll hear, there are uh, various packages and options available on that. Two-wheel uh, drive. Two-wheel drive, yet yeah, manual gearbox, and a car that is uh, capable of outgunning uh, McLaren Senna in the corners.
1: Yeah, and looks fantastic. So many great styling features, really impressed. So, yeah, looking forward to speaking to the guys and getting all the
0: details. Absolutely. Great looking car. I can't wait to hear yeah. more about it.
3: This must be, Andy, for you, a, a particularly kind of tantalising prospect, considering that you are a, a 903 owner and Gunther Works have previously said their thesis kind of from the outset is to develop a 993 that they feel Porsche would have made if it was in modern times.
1: Yes, yes.
3: Yeah. the ultimate expression of what you would describe as the ultimate air called 911.
1: Yeah, it's it's a, it's very different, isn't it, to all of the other reimagining people, you know, they're 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 trying to project what it would have been in the future rather than trying to make something look older than it is. So yeah, it's very a very interesting and different concept to all of the other um similar type of businesses.
0: Yeah, it's it's as if the development of the nine nine three had continued. You know, not not stopped when we switched to nine nine six. Yeah. Which as you say is different from the you know it's almost not a resto mod, it's something slightly different, isn't it? Resto mod conjures up a certain image which is cool and you know and we're all into it i think gunther works are doing something slightly different
3: yeah definitely definitely i think it's prudent guys that we just dive straight into this get our special guests on and and look at this incredible car we are joined by peter nam ceo and founder of gunther works and amjad ali who's the technical director at the california based company guys thank you so much for joining us for this special episode to talk about project Tornado. Well. (laughs) Us? <laughs> Good to see you. Yeah,
1: guys, I'd like to start off actually with where did the company start and how did that how did that formulate in the early days?
2: Yeah, the company started um five years ago. Um so we're we're in our fifth year this year at Quill. And um, you know, my background is um, you know, I started a company called Force where we do tuning for a lot of German cars and that business has been around for over 18 years uh, manufacturing and designing uh, carbon fiber components and and wheels. That sort of led to Works, where um, we took a lot of our manufacturing expertise and um, knowledge and transferred that over to the Works side of the business. The whole inspiration came because you know we Drive a lot of modern cars these days, you know, all the way from Porsche to Lamborghinis to McLarens to Ferraris, and um, we just felt like, um, as we're as we see these new cars, new cars coming out, um, they're becoming more and more digital, and you know, um, they're moving away from being a driver's car. But they're 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 capable and fast and technologically advanced, but they're losing that connection between the car and the driver. You know, it's basically, the car is almost becoming like video games and we're going into a paradigm shift where we move into electric cars and we're going to be driving, you know, computers with four wheels and we're losing the essence of that driver connection with cars. So that's one of the reasons why we um, use the... Uh, 993 is the base because it's the, the last uh, analog 911 that Porsches ever made. I think it was the pinnacle for me personally. And um, you know, the problem some of the issues with driving the older analog cars is you miss some of the more modern technologies, uh, modern suspension and steering, uh, uh, Bluetooth and carplay and things like that. So what we wanted to do was take the best air cooled 911, uh, the 993. And um, inject technology to sort of enhance the driving experience of the analog nine eleven, as opposed to masking it with technology, which is what we're seeing a lot in uh, modern cars today. So we want it to have a situation where you can have your cake and eat it too, and have the best of both worlds. You know, creating that bridge, and um, you know, adding technology to make the car drive better, but not mask. The, the driver connection with the car, all the uh, the sound and the steering feel that we missed on all the old MLM cars.
0: Yeah. So. on your <clears throat> sorry on your journey to that point, Peter, I've read before that you were you know you were big into BMWs for a time when you, you know you were in that in that scene. In terms of your Porsche experience, you know as an owner and a driver, GT3s and 993s and that sort of thing, before you decided you were going to build your own car, what Porsches did you own and drive and enjoy?
2: Uh, I started with a 997, um, and graduated into uh, the 997 Turbo. Then we went. Then I went to the 991 Turbo, and then I got a 991 GT3, and it was just basically all over after that. <laughs> so, I never looked back, and yeah, never went. To, I sort of fell out of love with BMW at that point. <laughs>
1: Seems to be the way, doesn't it? For um for car guys is once you get a bit of Porsche, in you you can't get it out.
2: <laughs> yeah. Especially the PT cars, you know, they're so raw and um, you know, emotional. And it's I think Porsche is one of the few car manufacturers um, today that still make emotionally engaging cars. It's not just about being fast, but it's like it's an emotional driving experience. So um that's one of the reasons why I personally
3: gravitated towards Porsche. Yeah, excellent. I'll be really keen to um, to know the the 993 essentially is the culmination of 35 years at the time of Porsche 911 developments. And as you rightly say, it was the pinnacle of the cooled era. So in terms of remastering the 993, is that easier or is the task more difficult than remastering an older 911?
2: I think the 993 Porsche had, you know, I think it was supposed to be uh, the first water-cooled car, and Porsche had um, spent a considerable amount of time and investment um, updating the chassis of the 993 compared to the 964. Uh, one of the big differences are the multi link rear suspension on, on the car. Uh, you can see also on the body side, the cars become um, more aerodynamic, and they don't have the... Um, you Know vertically angled headlights, it's more um, streamlined and aerodynamic. So, there's a lot of both exterior and chassis changes. That you know, there was a big jump in technology in terms of um, compared to the 964. Um, And the only really similarity, really, is the the engine is the same 964 engine, but everything else was, I think, a big. you know, update compared
3: to the previous generation, so I think it was easier to work with. And um, so, yeah, in in terms of like you guys as a business, it, you you've I think it's fair to say come a very long way in a very short time, comparatively speaking to like mainstream manufacturers, you know. And and I think what's highly commendable as well is you you put your products to the test. I love the fact that you took the car to Laguna Seco and and rightly, you know, as you pointed out in the press release and set that. That fastest lap for what was uh, an air called Porsche 911—it's you know your your—it's testament to what you're doing. This isn't just an exercise in Porsche styling. There's engineering behind this, and I think that's really kind of important to get across. You just interject there
4: for a second—the lap time, which still stands at the moment.
3: Does it really?
4: It's, it's the fastest uh, naturally aspirated Porsche. Time around the Guiness of any generation. So so the 92 hasn't been around it yet, but it's the fastest NA 911 of any generation around the Guiness We were 0.27 of a second slower than uh, McLaren P1, and (laughs) who drove the car said that there was about a second on the table, but we ran out of time. (laughs)
3: Amazing. That's it. Yeah, that is it's ludicrous. Absolutely ludicrous. But again, you know, I I I love the fact that you do that and 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 you really go for that and put put your products to the test. So yeah, kudos to you.
4: I think one of your requirements, biggest requirements, we weren't going to build a pretty car. Everything that the car is made, okay, it looks pretty, but it was designed to be a usable and a very high performance car from the outset. We didn't want our customers to buy these and stick them in an aircon garage. They were made to be driven and that's what Peter's philosophy was from the
3: start. other companies reimagine restore, remaster classic Porsche nine elevens obviously both in in the states where you are and and obviously over here and and even in europe they they're it's a becoming like a popular enterprise so taking the nine nine three element out of that is there anything you'd like to add to, to what amjad said there whereby What's your philosophy? What, what's the kind of the rubber stamp of, of Gunther Works that makes you guys different from anybody else that, that is kind of within this realm of remastering?
2: Yeah, so our, our core focus is functional performance. And so when we started with the first coupe uh, and developed that, um, one of the first things uh, we did was um, use the outer front suspension mounting points that were already built into the chassis. Uh, a lot of people don't know that, but there's actually two suspension mounting points on all Porsche 993s, um, I think also on 964s. Nice but uh, Porsche had used the outer suspension mounting points on all the cup cars, and these are homologated race cars, right? So they have to basically put those mounting points into the production cars to be homologated uh, for racing. So, we, uh, what we did is the 9-11 the uh, inherently has uh, a little bit of understair built into it, and I think for safety reasons. Um, so, the, the track on the, on the rear is wider than the front. The first thing we did is we mopped up the suspension using the uh, suspension mounting points that the, uh, the tough cars use. Mopped up the suspension. Then we mopped up the wheels. And then we clay modeled the body from around that instead of the other way around, wow. building beautiful fenders and bumpers, and then going, all right, let's try and figure out how to make the suspension and, um, yeah, the wheel fit would work. It's, it had to start, we started with the chassis first, and it's the same thing what we did on the Speedster. On the Speedster, we take a 911 convertible. Before we start building any part of the body panels around the car, we started reinforcing the 993 cabriolet chassis. With uh, the help of someone called Trevor Harris, who's very, very famous in the uh, the uh, racing and automotive uh, history. And we stiffen the 993 Chevrolet chassis 150% over the factory car. And in fact, it's so stiff, it's actually 33% stiffer than our coupe right now. And so <laughs> you know, it starts with the chassis. That's really where you have to start fundamentally is to get the chassis right. You can't build a house without a good foundation. You yeah. can't start building a house and then start working on the foundation. Um, so our approach is very opposite. We start with the foundation and then we build a house on top or the body on top and make everything look pretty. But um, the aesthetics, of it is a byproduct of the functionality. It isn't the other way around.
1: Uh, would I be right in saying that the uh, you've got clay modelers that you actually employed that worked at Porsche back in the sort of 993 days would that be correct
2: um i can neither confirm or deny that
3: <laughs>
0: <laughs> in terms peter of adding that rigidity to not only the speedster but the coupe was it the uh your background in using carbon fiber that enabled you to to do that and add that you know, in a, in a, you know, from an engineering background, you know, without adding too much weight. Is that where it comes from?
2: No, I, I, I actually wish I could take credit for all that. <laughs> um, I actually uh, studied finance in schools. So I have no background in engineering. Uh, but the, we, we partnered up with people that, you know, have uh, many, many years of history in racing Porsches, you know, and building Porsches. Uh, guys like uh, Jeff Gamroff for engine builder and Kerry Eisenmore. Uh both those guys have a long, long history of racing and building Porsches, and that's really um, you know instrumental to the initial chassis development of our cars. It was we just we we'll take their uh, guidelines and
4: and blueprint around that, and then build everything around that. So, but guys, there is a bit of a benefit. Oh. Of not doing that and um, you guys are in the Porsche world and I think you know the Porsche world and the people in the Porsche world can sometimes be very blinkered um, and not like anything that doesn't conform to the norm but when you come at the project with an outsider in effect in inverted commerce view you can make changes and make adjustments without having that blinkered approach and that allowed us to basically explore options and explore the way we wanted to do things from a different angle or from outside of the box, if you
3: like. And that's pretty dividends. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's interesting that you say that. I, I agree with that wholeheartedly. And as an extension that I think it's no coincidence that um, companies that have really kind of pioneered, this fresh look at classic 911s uh, of which you guys are are, are very much at the center of it i think it's no coincidence that that has come out of california and we've said on this podcast many times before that in europe and particularly us brits we're a little bit more fastidious with stock for for whatever reason and this is coming you know andy and i are 911s are, are very modified um but we're the exception and not the rule over here and and you know the 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 guy stateside you're far more kind of at ease with trying new things trying new technologies um customizing or personalizing your own cars and and as i say so that whole thesis of looking at something and going well actually yeah it is lovely and it is iconic but we could do something a little bit different and we could look to improve it i think it's absolutely no coincidence that california has become a, a hub for that
0: I think that's a great point, Lee. I did. I thought of it when we first started chatting earlier on, guys. And you said you're at your headquarters in Huntington Beach, you know. And as a um, as a British car enthusiast, and I think Huntington Beach, I think uh, Cal Look V Dubs in the 1970s, hot rodding and that sort of thing. And I wondered how much of that sort of cultural freedom in the way people approach cars and being car enthusiasts, how much of that vibe feeds into, you know, into that freedom that you allow yourselves.
4: As a Brit, I see here um well, we've got car culture back home but i have never been anywhere in the world where the car culture is like it is here in southern california and that definitely helps us do what we do because the car culture is phenomenal
3: i mean it is really phenomenal yeah yeah no, i agree Amjad. like you know you you guys are so lucky man like inspiration is all around over there and and you know even to be honest you know not not just kind of uh remastering and, having a re relook look and a rethink of of older stuff even like with newer stuff like modern gt's like i'm a big fan of what the guys at Sharkworks do um and again you know the gumption to take a, a modern gt car which is absolutely revered in porsche circles and going well hey look we can we can make this even better i just love it and again it, that's why i kind of just stand by it that it's it that sort of thing can only come from california really and and but the impetus of that has kind of inspired everybody around the planet since you know there are there's almost a, it's given rise to a subculture particularly in the UK of companies that are doing their own reimagining of G series cars or 964s um a couple you know trying the 993 now but you know it started in, in California and 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 certainly with the 993 generation of 911 you guys are the first name that people mention and talk about and that has that has been the case for a, a very long time now you know
4: i think the uk has been having run porsches from the 90s i remember when people used to get upset if you ran an 18-inch wheel <laughs> i'm mean, I getting a hard time about it but here we don't have any of those restrictions and i think the uk is playing catch-up but like i said the car culture here is like it, this is not a case giving you the freedom but People don't question it as much. Like I said, it isn't that blinkered approach. And you're right, it definitely helps. But like I said before, with the fact that Peter's not from uh, an engineering background, that also helps because you're not blinkered by that engineering approach uh, and you can be a lot more creative. And I think that's what you know Peter's done. And so as a company, that's what we've managed to pull off.
3: Yeah, yeah, without a doubt. So, look, with, with that in mind, guys, it'd be great to move on to Project Tornado which is quite a car. We're we're really, really chuffed and privileged that you guys are are, are talking to us. Uh, It's obviously been recorded ahead of embargo and and we'll drop this podcast when the embargo lifts. So thank you for your time on that. Um, It is sensational. It represents something of a first foray for the company into turbocharging. I'd love to know um, the thoughts behind the impetus of that.
2: Well, plan from the onset, we've always planned, as mentioned before, to first release our naturally aspirated coupe, and then the speedster, and then the terminal after that. And when people drive um, our coupes and our speedsters, especially around the track, they say there's just way too much grip on this car. Why did you guys put such large tires and so much grip? Because, you know, obviously, the car only has around 435 horsepower, you know, and it's got 295 tires in the front, 335 tires in the rear. Um, and one of the reasons was we wanted to take the first two cars and refine the chassis development and the steering and the mechanical grip on the car. Um, so um, there was a lot of progression in the chassis development over the last five years that we learned from the coupe and on the speedster. And it's uh, been refined and been set up for the power plant of the turbo, which is 700 horsepower. And we've got uh, just the right amount of grip um, and power uh, that the turbo can now put down that power onto the road as opposed to spinning the wheels. So that's kind of been
4: the plan all along.
1: It's always been in the plan then.
4: Well, when we we did the initial car, one of the things that, as Peter touched on earlier, when we used these outer suspension manuals, the cure to killing the understeer that these cars always had uh, back in the day um, was to square that track up. But we squared the track up, and like Peter said, we built the body around our chassis modifications. So, that was always done, and the, the, the level of mechanical grip that the cars got, you know, hence the time around Laguna, was really substantial, but did get you know those blinkered people that we spoke about earlier going oh why do you run such wide tires? And now with this car, I think it answers the question because this car we planned this car away from the outset from when, we, when the company was first set up.
0: So whilst some of the features of the, the bodywork, you know, emphasise that width even more, the the at the at the extremities that the dimensions are the same, are they as the other two cars?
4: Yeah, the turbo is it, the width of the. Uh, wings and the rear quarters are the same as the um, Coupe and the Speedster.
3: Okay, and, and, and what is that in terms of figure?
4: It's about six inches wider than a standard car, about three inches a side. Yeah, okay. um, The track is around about 1600 millimeters front and rear.
0: Yeah. How does that compare to 993 GT2? Oh,
4: slightly wider, I would say. Yeah.
1: Inch.
0: Certainly at the front, I thought, yeah. Least these
1: game throughs, Finding the finding the figures I can see already. Yeah, no, just, it's <laughs> so
2: nice no, to guys some ideas, just like to put that in the context. Like we had our, our coupé at Laguna Seca and on our b box data we were seeing um peaks up to three lateral Gs. <laughs> so I mean I mean we're we're literally passing mclaren centers around the corners of the track and they're only pulling us on the straightaways uh because we only have 430 horsepower but we're literally passing ferrari track cars aston martin track cars other track cars uh around corners we have more mechanical grip than almost uh, I don't know any supercar out there,
1: any hypercar out there. It's just yeah, fun. yeah. Madness. Madness. And those
0: guys, they're invariably uh, getting some of their lap time from gearboxes as well, aren't they, from twin clutch box or se- sequential yeah. boxes and things like that?
4: I don't know if you guys have seen the video of, of the run that we did. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. If not, I'll get it over to you guys. But Randy Props was chasing down a 911 RSR race car, like an actual four-burn race car with wings and everything and he was catching the car coming through the dipper and through the s And The only time it pulled away was when he turned onto the main street just at the end of the lap. But If you watch the lap, you can see the distance, and he gets closer and closer and closer and closer to the car, coming through the back end of the circuit. Um, And I wasn't aware of it until Randy pointed out. By the way, that's a four-blood race car. I looked at the video again. That really blew my mind
3: yeah that sounds nice, awesome yeah. we'll share that with our listeners as well on our social media in 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 the week when this drops because um yeah that that's 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 quite something like you say an, an rsr is is a full-blown full race car it's not designed to go anywhere near a road you know, yeah. so, you know what tires a, were you on for that
2: it was a hoosier
4: 87 I
2: think.
3: yeah which I will legal here in the u.s probably. yeah yeah wow Amazing. Yeah, amazing absolutely awesome so the the uh, project tornado i think in uh, where it's being presented this week is its ultimate expression of of that. But you, you guys also uh, mentioned the fact that something that's perhaps less track focused and more touring oriented is available as well. Um, certain changes, like you swap out like the T tray rear wing for a ducktail, as as an example. But there are other bits and pieces as well. So this is there's a duality to this car, and it's up to uh, the customer, I suppose, to choose kind of their spec and what road they want to go down with this.
2: Yeah, exactly. There, there's a racing, more sport, track-focused version with the whale tail and the bented hood on the front, and um, the uh, more touring version is a little more street-oriented. We're gonna like um, adjust um, the suspension height and comfort levels, and it won't have that big downforce in the front hood. And we want to detune the engine just because, you know, it does. it's not going to have enough downforce to be able to handle all of that 700 horsepower. So uh, we want to make sure that people are safe on the road. So we're going to detune the power a little bit if it doesn't have that high downforce package.
3: Yeah. Yeah. And, and, yeah. and in, for both packages, power is going to the rear wheels. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. OK, awesome.
1: cool. Can you, can, you, can you take us through what's different? What's, you know, from the. The gen- the first generation coupe to the tornado. What's what's different? Yeah. Maybe start at the engine. What's going on there?
4: So the engine is a four liter twin turbo flat six with a flat fan and it's twin ch- and it's charged as opposed to integral. Yeah. Um. And the flat fan. We didn't just pick the flat fan for the aesthetics. Now the original nine nine three turbo was four hundred and fifty horsepower at its peak. This is 700-horse So when we looked at the cooling requirements that we were going to need for that engine, um, the flat fan, um, in terms of airflow capability, to give an example, so a 993 um, vertical fan at 6,100 yeah. RPM um, flows at 1,010 liters per second of air. Uh, the flat fan at the, that engine speed flows 2,400 liters.
1: Second. Wow, wow, wow. Yeah.
4: It's more than double, but the biggest thing for us was the flat fan, the, the beauty of the flat fan, and the reason it was used in the race cars was it cooled all of the cylinders equally. And as you guys will know, because you're in the Porsche world, but cylinders one and four always run slightly hotter on a on a vertical fan car, because obviously yeah. there's two, two cylinders at the back. So that flat fan cools all of the cinder, cylinders equally. Plus, the airflow is split 65% to the engine and 35% to the heads. And on a turbo application, that's really, really quite critical because once these engines get to 210 degrees Fahrenheit, so about 100 degrees Celsius in terms of oil temperature, these air-cooled engines start losing power. Yeah, um, that's always been a big issue. So. The reason we did it, yeah, aesthetically, it looks great. It's going to sound amazing, but it was done from a functionality perspective. And the same with the intercooler, rather than intercooling, we've gone charge cooling. One, you know, a water to air based intercooler is 17 times more efficient than an air to air based intercooler. Secondly, the path we've gone um, from the turbos into the inlet through the charge cooler, and, and the car still runs individual throttle buttons. Um, it's the shortest path, and it's the same on the intake side. So the intake comes in from the rear quarter vents. Yeah. So that's the, the
1: front vents in the wings.
4: Yeah. Yeah. Through the through the vents and straight into the turbo. So it's a very short path. Yeah. But modern uh, Garrett turbochargers that spool up very, very quickly, and then that goes straight from there most directly into the inlet through the charge cooler and into the engine. So the whole idea is to make sure it's going to be responsive there's going to be very little turbo lag. So it will behave a bit like a modern uh, turbocharged engine. Um, But that, it was the cooling and the um, requirements that really dictated that we really needed to go to a flat fan. And I know what you guys are going to be thinking, a lot of your listeners are going to be thinking, and again, this is one of the sort of myths of a flat fan. Oh, they use 30 horsepower. Yeah, but the the, the amount of power a fan uses rises based on the speed of the fan rotating. So it only uses 30 horsepower plus at its maximum RPM. Yeah. In our case, our engine's going to rev to 7,500. Uh, that's going to be the red line. But 7,500 RPM, yeah, it's going to use 30 plus horsepower, but that's only 5% of the output of, of what the engine's capable of producing. Um, but yeah, that was why we went, that's the reason we've gone the way we've gone is more to do with you know making sure the engine works right and it works
1: at the right power at the right temperatures. Brilliant, yeah. When I first saw that it was a flat fan, I was like, well, yeah, they've gone for the for the you know nine one seven style and yeah, maybe a little bit of style over form, but yeah, you yeah. just totally debunked that, which is fantastic.
4: Yeah, that's a requirement. And again, yeah. what Peter was saying earlier: everything we do is functional performance. Everything's everything's done for a reason.
1: Yeah,
4: I mean, you saw the guy. You saw the car uh, seated car at Goodwood, yeah. and a lot of people who saw the car in the flesh. Um, it, the car looks different in in real life than it does in photographs. When people were coming up to me and asking me about why the car was so wide, and once I explained to them what we did and why it was so wide, they they then understood why we've done it. It's not nothing is done for looks. It's done purely from a performance perspective. Yeah. Yeah.
3: But again, you know, I love that because that feeds exactly into kind of what Porsche is about as a, as a brand really. Um, and how, you know, yeah, you realize the, the form of something when you, once you fully understand its function and then also Jad, where you're saying about, um, the idea of, you know, the benefits of turning that flat fan, particularly from a performance point of view. And you talk about, you know, um, temperature management, the big thing with, with, Porsche always has been it's it's repeat performance it's not just about that one lap or that big horsepower um as a number it's about how that translates time and time again lap after lap after lap so again um I love it I I I love these deep dives into these cars where you're able to explain the thought process and the engineering behind it because it's it's a massive task it's a massive task so yeah I love it very very well done If we if we stay at the
0: back of the car for a minute, you you can see how much uh, heat you're having to manage. You know, by the number of outlets that you have, it also looks like you've managed to get a bit of um, of aero. There's a a diffuser at the back. Have you managed to to bring air under the car and actually get some benefit from that?
4: Again, we're all air cool guys. When these cars are going really quick, they have a tendency to lift at the front, Um, and we're again using what's proven in racing and applied it to the car. So that front vented bent, bonnet with, with the airflow coming through, that generates a lot of front downforce, and it also cleans up the air going over the top of the car as well from an aerodynamic perspective. Mm-hmm. And the way did uh, the front fenders, is where we release a lot of that turbulent air that gets caught up in the front wheel arches and the front wheel well. And that, the way the skirts are shaped, um, what happens is the airflow; it helps direct the airflow to the inlets on the rear uh, quarters. Um, so, this twofold requirement for the car: first of all, is a cooling requirement, and what we've managed to do. And you guys obviously drive Manland If you look at where the oil cooler is on the front of a nine nine three, yeah, it sits. Um, it sits at ninety degrees from the forward-facing direction of the car. So. When well, we first did the coupe, for example, the air comes in, has to go through 90 degrees to go through the oil cooler, then another 90 degrees to exit to the front wheel well.
1: Yeah.
4: And because the car is so wide, we basically managed to uh, turn that around by 90 degrees, so it's completely sure. and we've run two of them. Um, so the cooling requirements on turbo were going to be even more. So if you look at our, our coupe, yes, we have the two vents there, but if you look at the vents on Turbo, on uh, Project Tornado, sorry, they're a lot bigger and they're a lot wider and again that's the requirements we need to keep the engine temperatures down because as we now all know on an air-cooled engine the, the oil is part of the cooling process of the car think, as well as lubrication so that was critical um and in terms of the rear wing it's it's been enhanced to give it extra downforce and again there's a vent at the back because you get, tend to get some negative pressure sometimes building up at the back area of the wing that helps release that pressure plus it's the airflow to the fan that's pretty much key to what we're doing and then the vents on the rear bumper on the corners is where the charge cooler radiators are going to sit and again it's it's all about exiting that hot air and from an aerodynamics perspective and then to balance that front downforce with the front lip and um, the front uh, uh, vented bonnet you've got a diffuser and it's a long diffuser so it actually runs quite far down underneath the engine bay. So, if you were to look at the car underneath, it's not just a little bit that sits on the end; it's actually yep. quite long, and it's there to provide, you know, to,
3: to generate genuine downforce with the help of that rear wing. Awesome. Okay. Yeah, you've you've done well to do that within a framework of, I well, assume, the engine. It looks like the engine's in the same place. Um, yeah. So, managing that diffuser in there that is there's not a lot of room at the back of nine levers at the best of times. So, uh, again, I think you've done very well there.
0: Yeah.
1: Is there um is there a sneak look of um turbos at either side, just under the exhausts there?
4: They're, they're actually hidden under the tray, but if you look down at the um at, at the mesh in the middle, yeah, they, can, they sit there right at the bottom corners.
1: So. Okay, so there, there might be a bit of um possibility of seeing a glowing turbo through the back there then.
4: Yeah, I think once you a car getting especially at night, a car getting driven will have a nice little orange glow the side of the back of the car.
1: Beautiful, beautiful. Yeah, because we were we were at Le Mans um, a few weeks ago at Classic Le Mans and um, seeing some of the Turbo 935s, things like that, running around with the turbos glowing. Yeah, it's, it's bringing back f- hot memories of that already. <laughs>
0: I love it.
3: Yeah, yeah.
0: In, in terms of the R&D for something like this, guys, in terms of how you productionize, it, if you like, for want of a better word, it strikes me that, you know, one of the beauties of the Resto mod idea or one of the appeals of it is for people you know to be able to use these cars more perhaps than they think they could do if they had a just an old car so in terms of you know all that heat management and things like that you know have you done you know loads of miles driving it out into Death Valley you know thinking someone might you know buy it and they want (laughs) to you know they want to drive to uh, Vegas in it and they don't want to break down at Bakersfield you know because it's overheated you know how how do you how do you do all that because that's a lot of you know for a major yeah, car manufacturer I've, that's a big job you know let alone for you guys
4: When we did um our first coupé we did fifteen thousand miles literally in the space of uh, six months uh-huh. um it, it, it's only with driving that you're going to come up with any issues driving we're trying obviously you can see the kind of you know, development we've done but this car you know tornado is five years in the making so it's five years of work you're right. Until you drive the car and physically go and give it some abuse, it's only then that you're gonna pick up glitches or you have to make any changes. Um, but we do what everybody else does. We drive, you know, we drive the cars. I think where we're lucky is we've got a hot climate here. Death Valley's not far from us. Mm-hmm. For us over you know, there, driving forty degree, fifty degree heat is—it's um, not far away. And, and we do it there, there's you can't really cut corners when it comes to that kind of stuff yeah um, and that we just have to do it it's very expensive but it has to be done
1: yeah yeah awesome yeah um just sticking with the mechanicals for a moment um gearbox what's what's the story on the gearbox are we you know just the development of the the gearbox that's in the coupe or what's, is there anything special in there well
4: the, the, the gearbox in the coupe um is is based on the original g50 box. Yeah. We have our own custom gear sets, but we want a four to one final drive. Yeah. Um, The turbo gearbox is going to be slightly different because the torque requirements are different. um, And obviously, it's got a lot more power. The coupe is geared quite sure, quite punchy. Mm -hmm. Um, That's something, again, once we start testing the mules, there's a touring version of the car, like Peter said, that's going to have less power. That's going to be a slightly more relaxed car, whereas the full blown, um track car if you like. It's gonna have slightly different gearing. Um, because it's the make one's gonna be a little bit more relaxed to drive, one's gonna be uh, you know, like it's an, an on it car if you want to call it. But yeah. uh unless that car's gonna have a hundred horsepower more than the touring version. But again, that is something we haven't finalized the specs yet. What we're gonna do is we're gonna run the cars, and again, like, let's go back to what we just said. So only once you
1: start running the car, that you can make, yeah. and then finalise the final specs. But well, all of that will be done before we launch the production Of course, awesome! I think we've um, sort of covered the mechanicals. I think we should, uh, I think we should hit styling. I mean, there's uh... a <laughs> pass, pass the button there, Ramjad. Um I mean, I, 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 see quite a few different influences there. Um, definitely see one of my little favourites, which is uh, 74 RSR. Um, in those front wings and some of the the wing vents in that in the rear And i think there's other bits and bobs that um pop up you know, where what where was the inspiration from
2: i mean there was you know some things that we looked at like the uh the 993 gt1 looked at the uh front shot front angle of the car i think i sent you some photos of that on your on your instagram but yeah. Um, back the back of that uh front fender vent is also reminiscent of that to excavate air. Um we we try to be respectful to the uh Porsche racing history and the lineage and the design language that Porsche already has. Uh, but we do try and minimize sort of copying and pasting different elements of Porsche's cars and just put it into a package. So we do try to um, develop it further and have our own styling while keeping within uh design language of Porsche. So you know we try to be as original as we can on what we're doing. Uh, but every body panel uh, on the Project Tornado is unique. So the only thing that's carried over is essentially the doors and the mirrors. Yeah. But uh, you see the uh, double bubble roof. Uh, the vented hood, the front bumper, fenders, side skirts, rear quarter panels, rear bumper, and the rear wing—that's all uh, completely scratched development right now. So, Fantastic. Uh, yeah, the only thing is, it's it's the same width, you know, and it's an optical illusion because there's vents and sort of things that we uh, carefully, you know, integrated into the uh, the existing width and packaging of the car. We don't want the car to be any wider. It's already wide enough.
1: Yeah,
2: um, but the challenging uh, part of the design was, um, you know, the design has to serve the most important thing is cooling and downforce. Two two of those things are uh, the forefront of how we're going to design the car. So, as again, we looked at, you know, we talked to our engineers and our engine developer and our chassis developer and sort of discussed what are the Mechanical and engineering requirements of this new power plant, and how could we aid that with the bodywork? So it wasn't sort of like we're making the car look different and pretty, yeah. And to figure out how the cooling. It. it was the cooling and the downforce essentially molded the shape of those of those parts.
1: Yeah.
2: You know? Yeah. So, um, and also there was a lot of packaging um challenges as well yeah. because the car fits. It's still a nine nine three. It's only so big, and there's a lot of technology to fit into this package for a small car.
0: Yeah.
2: Um. So yeah, especially the front where we have that uh, functional ducting, and we have the battery up front, uh, the oil pump up front, and the, uh, the oil tank. So all of that had to be completely redesigned.
3: It's it's funny, like we've uh, well, I've, I've interviewed a few of the Porsche designers from throughout the generations on YouTube on NineWorks TV, and it's so funny chatting to designers about the engineering side of the cars because and, and Tony Hatter again with the 903 3 is, is an example, Ben Dimpson with a 964 was the same, and, it, and it's just this perpetual sort of argument really between design and engineering, and you know kind of who's following who and who yeah it's it's quite interesting i think again like with, with what you guys are saying though first and foremost it's it's a piece of engineering and and i really like the way you've described that the way the design is quite naturally followed on from the requirements of the car from the outset you know it seems like it was uh less fraught than what went on at porsche back in the day anyways so. <laughs>
2: I mean we have less departments and people to deal with. So that's one of the benefits of having a small boutique company like us. We don't have as much departmental conflicts or um you know approvals and red tape. So we can make decisions relatively quickly with a very very small team.
3: Yeah.
2: So um there are some benefits to being a small company as opposed to a large scale manufacturer. Uh, we don't have to worry so much about homologation as well, because it's a remastered car. It's not going to be... It's not a brand new car that has to be crash as and so forth, that homologated in every single country. So we have, you know, a little bit less restrictions than what Porsche would have if they were to develop a new
4: car. So, yeah. you know... yeah The other thing that really helps in our situation is where we're very fortunate is we make everything in house. If the only thing we don't make in-house is that at the engine, which we work with uh, with Rossport, but yeah. body panels, the wheels, uh, even our own. so we used to um, outsource our Ball street, Even that's been bought, house now, uh, bought in-house now. they bought in recently. So, like this says, where we you know we, we don't have to discuss things in a committee because we're a small team. We can make changes and, and decisions very very quickly. And the fact that we manufacture everything in-house. That also helps because then we can make those changes and manufacture them and get them done. Does things very very
3: quickly, you, well. definitely, yeah. and that's that's massive as well. Amjad, to be honest with you, because you know when you bring things in in house, everything falls under um, your own tolerances and and your own kind of quality control and quality standards. Mm-hmm. Also from a logistical side of things as well.
4: Um, we even make a, we even make our wheel our own wheel milling, uh, five axis milling machine in-house. Yeah, the, you, know, the, you know normally people will go to a real specialist for example to write specs and the designs can you make it we do everything
3: in-house. Literally. Yeah. That's that's incredible and, and also you know a fantastic investment in the product as well I think it's it's really worth kind of underlining that that, that to to bring all of that in-house and and to develop things in-house how you do that's not cheap. No. Well,
2: tell
1: that's cheaper
3: than outsourcing. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Yeah. Well, um, uh, oh, Andy, have you, have you got a stylistic question?
1: I have. Yeah. Yeah. I was, um, I I wanted to compliment on the, the sort of the overall, the styling of it. Um, I think there are quite a few, you know, you could take, say that there's influences from different um, eras of Porsche design, um, or you could interpret it interpretate that some of those bits might be from different bits um and i i almost felt like it could be quite um a bit of a mishmash in some ways i think it's amazing how you've brought that all together but still looks like a 993 so you've still got the the sort of 45 degree um finish on the wheel arch and that sort of falls through to the to the rear vent on the back of the rear wings where you've got the 45 degree there and it sort of echoes it and brings it all together um so yeah i think it's a a a very clever bit of design actually i really do yeah
2: the fact that you identified that little wheel arch is uh you know that because you're a 993 owner. yeah you'll see a lot of 993s that have been modified that got rid of all that. You know, yes. That, that factory design, language, that, that curvature that goes into the fender lift uh, and, and the wheel liner, and that is all retained you now. Yeah. Uh, in respect to the original design uh, that Porsche did.
1: Actually,
4: useful the car with me, I could with.
1: Yes. Um,
4: yeah. When we had a chat. And one of the other things, as well as that, it's, like I'm said, we'd really happy you picked that up because that was something. That was, we felt was really critical
1: mm-hmm.
4: and the other thing that was very critical was if you look at the radius of both the front and rear uh, arches, Yeah. we maintained that same radius.
1: Yes. Yeah. Uh,
4: the car looked correct. Yeah. There's two elements is what you you picked up on, and then there's also that part of it for, for us and for Peter especially that was really, really important that we maintain that to, to maintain the correct look of the car.
1: Absolutely. They're very distinctive, aren't they? The wheel arch um, shape of the 993. Um, Yeah. And you could have, you could have quite easily. Yeah. Mucked that up, if you know what I mean. (laughs) So yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think it's uh, fantastic
3: it's great as well by the way that you've kept the rain gutters as well that's a small but big win but it's uh yeah overlooked a lot of modern <laughs> machinery and always mentions it as well so
2: yeah, that's, that's a controversial topic because a lot of people ask us why you guys have not removed the rain gutters um and for me the rain gutters is first of all functional um and second of all that's actually where the factory seams the body together, the chassis together. so there's if you incorrectly remove the rain gutters, you are literally going to be twisting that chassis. It's yeah. very, um, you know, and the car will not be perfectly straight. And I think for me, the rain gutters is a signature trademark of it being an Intercool 911. Absolutely. If we start removing the rain gutters and we started changing the mirrors, uh, it could easily start looking like a 991 or a 992. Yeah. Yeah. I want that signature air cooled look to be there. I want people to be able to recognize immediately that this is still an air cooled nine eleven nine nine three, not a nine nine one
3: or nine nine two. Yeah, so, yeah, and that, that's that's where it works well because you know you right next to those rain gutters, you've got the the double bubble roof as well, which you know is kind of it's quite literally melding modern technology with. The traditional or elements of the traditional aesthetics of the cars. You know, again, I love the fact that you've kept the 993 door handles as well. And I fully expect when opening and closing that door that it will make that same kind of air clink when you close the door rather than like the modern dull clunk or thud, you know? So yeah. those, those things, they do matter, you know? Yeah,
4: and you heard that first time but
3: it was a good
0: one. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it sounded fantastic. Yeah.
3: How did, you, um, how did you settle
0: on the color for this car?
2: So we had some debates. Uh, I was sort of outvoted by my staff because uh, we wanted to do this three-stage um, metallic purple paint um, that's um, commonly seen on um, some Lamborghinis. And um, you know, most of the, uh, the guys in our team wanted to do the purple, and I wanted to go with orange, and. Uh, I think the purple was just too loud. I think it was going to be, um, you know, very divisive on some people that just don't like purple cars. Um, it's very much a love or hate for the color, and we didn't want the color to be a controversial topic. We wanted people to focus more on the car, not the color of the car. Yeah. So um, that's how we ended up with orange. Um, but we picked a three-stage. Pearl, pearlescent orange. So it's not a paint that you would typically see on a factory Porsche. So we custom developed that paint. Um and it's it's got quite a lot of different characteristics. Under the shade, it looks very, very dark, like burnt orange, but outside in the sun or in a studio, as you can see in the photos, it's it's it gets much brighter. So it has different characteristics.
0: In some lights, it looks like it's almost red. Uh wonderful it's a great choice it looks fantastic it does it fantastic and um, i, quite I think like the um sort of historical n- nod of you know of the times and occasions orange has been used over the years by yeah. by porsche you know and by jägermeister in the race cars you know when i'm looking at it and i'm feeling rsr coming out of it i'm thinking yeah, you know, I'm, yeah. I'm getting that you know that sort of that sort of love for it
1: yeah there's good. that um 74 rsr that's in the um museum a lot it, i can see the relationship that you're talking about there um i thought it's quite interesting the front is area it's very modern like almost sort of 992 and it's being black um and quite sort of open but that actually fits with the with the rest of the styling as well so yeah very well done yeah that that portion
2: right there what we, i call the uh the carbon bridge on the front bumper, uh, is. uh Exposed carbon fiber, but that can also be uh, painted body color. So it's an option. You can have various different looks. You can even do a two-tone look where we've even rendered it where, you know, it's orange, orange car with uh, the carbon accents that you see on the bumper being uh, contrasting white or something. Yeah. So there's variations of, uh, we've we've created variations of um, the paint lines where, it doesn't necessarily have to be um, fully exposed in the carbon areas. Let's see It could be all painted. So there's many creative ways to change up the look of the car.
0: Excellent. Working with the the sort of, you know, the clients that you do and the people who are able to and lucky enough to buy the cars from, you know, the Cooper Speeds around this, what, what sort of conversations do you have around that sort of situation? Do, do you ever have to sort of rein anyone in or, you know, do you let people do whatever they like? when it comes to colors and combos (laughs) and that sort of thing?
2: Uh, Ultimately, it's the client's choice. So um, I try and find inspiration on what color palettes they like and um, sort of suggest various colors and then sort of see the temperature of the client's um, reaction to the different colors we show. Um, Sometimes um, they bring their significant others into the client's spec meetings. Yeah, for the most part, um, we try and do our best. Our our job is to guide the client and not force what we think should, you know, the car should look like. I think there's only um one commission in particular um that the client was very, very insistent on his uh, color combinations and um I was very um, much against it, but uh, <laughs> You know, at the end of the day, you know
3: you can't win a fight with a client. So you know, yeah, yeah, you may not be seeing the photos of that commission on our Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant, amazing. <laughs> so, um, look, I just want to move away from the styling, kind of just go um, back to this as a as a concept. So, Project Tornado is it um, a pre-production car or is it a, a client car? And in terms of going forward. Is this very much signaling a new chapter for the company in, in forced induction, or will you still uh, like not abandoned naturally aspirated flat six engines?
2: So uh, the car we're showing next week is a pre-production car, and uh, we have uh, two mules already in development um, that will start testing, uh, and has already started testing. One of them has already been testing, and so. Um, We will have uh, two to three cars out there um, throughout this year or next year. Um, In terms of production, we're anticipating to start um, initial production of the project tornado uh, late next year. um, Which will overlap with some of our speed strip production. Answer your question about. forced induction, yes, this is the first entry into forced induction and uh, we have not forgotten about naturally aspirated cars and uh, we do have some new things up our sleeves in
3: the future. Yeah. Awesome, nice. That will kind of run concurrently alongside your projects with turbocharging as well then? Correct. Amazing, absolutely amazing. How many
1: of these cars are there? Is it 25 again?
2: Um, so we've, we've made 25 coupes, yeah. coupé, and we've got uh, around the same number of speakers, and um, they're all spoken for at this point. So we're now in the tail end of the coupé production because uh, we, I think, are delivering four or five commission, right-hand drive commissions to Hong Kong. And as soon as those are done, we're wrapping up the coupé production, and uh, we've already started speedster production uh, many many months ago and you're, you're going to start seeing on our social media a lot of speedster deliveries moving forward for the next uh one to two years while we can currently work on uh producing the turbo
0: awesome with the um good. with the speedster have you come under any client pressure to fashion some kind of Sort of tonneau or hood mechanism or anything for it or is everyone totally down with the uh you know this hasn't got a roof hasn't even got any windows you know this is a sunny day car
2: yeah so you know we've got a stationary cover um when you park the car just in case it rains To cover the interior protect the interior Mm -hmm. um but you know that car was really developed as a open top race car so if you look at vintage Porsche race cars They didn't have side windows. They didn't have a top. All of that adds weight. uh, uh, Anything that adds weight usually gets thrown out the window with our company. Um, So uh, we um, are firmly, you know, we're standing on the fact that this is the way the car has to look and this is the way it performs. And uh, if you live in an area that is not uh, weather friendly, then I think cars out for you guys it's not <laughs> a car
4: for
1: the uk no. the yes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> have you yeah. sold any have for the uk a, a
4: thunderstorm warnings and all kinds of yeah. stuff like <laughs>
0: I'm, I'm glad to hear that i'm glad there's that singularity of approach to it i think that's yeah. great i think that's as, as it should be yeah
4: it's, it's you know what, it's, it's it's a pure focus on what it, the car needs to be without having yeah. um mm-hmm. and, and, and we've stuck to that
3: yeah great Super duper nice. So I think that's pretty much uncovered. Well, we, it's a it's a real kind of deep dive into into Project Tornado and what we can expect, kind of also from you guys going forward. Which is nice as well. It's nice to kind of get a little bit of a, a bit of a clue as to the direction it's going. In. It's it's going to be exciting to watch as well. It has to say, has to be said. Absolutely. Just going
4: back, but back to the start of the video. In terms of the, the whole ethos behind what we do is the car. But the driving experience, and you guys going to find this. Visit. I'm a BMW person, but there's a there's natural progression for BMW drivers to go to Porsche. Yeah, but this whole you know, having that analog driving experience, Peter does own a BMW and he owns the best analog people, he owns an E30 M3. So, I think that sums up in terms of the analog ethos behind what we're doing in terms of driving experience. Um, when you drive the cars what we've done is so you've got modern driving experience but you see that core essence of a 993 and andy you'll understand this it's still there so the steering is there the um you know the little way the 993 bobs and weaves and then when you go into a corner and if you slightly trail brake, it just tucks that nose in all yeah. of that even though we've got a lot more grip all of those little things are still there. So the essence of the 993 is, is, is there in all of
1: our cars. You've still got all of those little things to entertain you. You've not dialed all of that out and made it a... No, it's not been...
4: Um, it, you know, the core essence of that yeah. car is... If you drive it, it's not like, you know, we've raised everything and this drives... Like, yeah. Not the, that, that core of that that car, the essence of the 993 is, is in, the, in the driving industry. Yeah. Which mm-hmm. is a difficult... Uh, thing to pull off because there are so many different changes. We wanted to retain the character of the car because that was very
3: important.
4: Yeah, and fantastic. Still,
3: these cars are famous for as well, So Yeah, yeah, it's, it's so important, you know. Your your customers are going to be coming to you first and foremost because they love they love that era of nine eleven, and they'd love something that, as exactly as you said, harnesses that but brings it into a, a modern age, really. And it's
4: you've got all of that.
3: But you've got one performance.
1: That's
2: yeah. what we were for. It's I a can very say fine. We've definitely converted a lot of non Porsche customers who are Ferrari customers into Porsche customers. Wow. They've stopped driving their Ferraris.
3: Yeah, oh, okay. So it's gone the other way. That's really interesting. Wow. Amazing. That's really
2: interesting. I'm quite proud of that one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely.
3: Yeah. yeah. First question to these guys and girls is where have you been? But <laughs> <laughs> yeah absolutely cracking well yeah look best of luck uh, for when the car is officially revealed i'm sure the feedback is going to be absolutely stellar as i said we're so grateful that you've given us your time to help us put together what is a a special episode of the podcast because we're between seasons at the moment so it's um yeah it's lovely to just kind of jump back on and and present to our listeners this car and the story behind it as well the story is always so important so um yeah peter and amjad thank you so much for your time Thank yeah, you. Thanks. Yeah,
0: thank you right. both. Yeah, thanks for having thank us both.
2: This episode was brought to you by our very kind Patreons. If you enjoy the podcast and would like to join them in supporting us, you can do so at patreon.com slash nineworks radio.